What's up, Spellslingers? My name is Gary and John Wells. I'm Drew Flynn. And I'm Corey Janabagian. And this is Untap, Upkeep, Drink. Beer up. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Untap of Keep Drink. This time, we're talking about Commander 2017, the tribal commander decks from Watsi. Yeah, as you can tell, I'm sure by the difference in audio quality, we are socially distancing ourselves at an acceptable distance via <laughs> the interwebs. So today is going to be a little bit different as far as the sound quality, but we're working through this. We're making sure that everybody's safe and making sure that uh, we're not part of the problem. Yeah, we're trying not to take a break. Because even though Ikoria got delayed and all that stuff, we're still plowing ahead, keeping on schedule. Yes, sir. And with that, we are up to, as Drew said, C-17. Yeah, so there's a lot going on in the set. Uh, tribal decks are something that's super, super popular throughout the commander scene. Everyone basically has a, a tribal deck. Yeah, they're the bomb. I love them. Yeah, they give you like a pretty direct strategy for you know what to build, so you don't have to worry about crazy combos or things like that. It's like, does this fit into my tribe? Yes. Therefore, I can put it in the deck. Yeah, I think it's one of the most basic decks you can do in any format, really. Yeah. And you just have a lot more style in Commander because you can use a lot of crazy different things. Yeah. So with this, we're going to be talking about the decks that have led up to this point, I think that it, it gives you kind of a, a good frame of reference for why the tribal decks are what they are. Um, talk about some of the, the cycles. I think there's only two in this set, or in the series. Um, talk about Eminence, the new keyword ability in this set. Uh, also, we're going to rank this set as a whole in general. And then... We're going to talk about some beers. So before we get started, we want to let everybody know that obviously we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We're at UUD Podcast or Untap Upkeep Drink. Uh, We love hearing feedback from you guys. We actually have a survey going on right now through SurveyMonkey. The link is in the description. Um, And basically... We're just trying to accommodate everybody's preferences. I know that when I'm listening to podcasts, it's different than you know when Corey or Drew are listening. Drew listens at like 750% speed. That's fine. <laughs> That's Everybody has their thing. We're, we're just trying to figure out like what Closer people to like want. like 500. <laughs> there you go. So I guess before we really dive into the commander stuff, let's just give a brief description of the beers we're drinking. Uh, so I kind of did my own eminence effect here and just played puppeteer in the shadows, uh, trying to make sure that everybody could taste the beers that everyone else was drinking. Um, Corey, can you start us off? Yeah, so I had the Epic Brewing Cross Fever Amber Ale. And this one is a beautiful, beautiful amber color. And she's a tall, thick boy. Oh yeah, she's sitting at 5.1% ABV and 20 IBUs. She's super malt heavy. It's, it's not. It doesn't have any lingering aftertaste, but that those forward malt characters. It's just they kind of sit with you. It's super smooth, a lot smoother than I thought it would be. All right, Gary, what about you? So today I'm rocking the Vernal Brewing Company's Imperial Milk Stout called Mama's Milk, and holy shit, this one is sitting at 8.5 percent ABV, and you could definitely tell. 46 IBUs, which sounds like a lot more than what I'm getting off of it. It is extremely sweet to me, 
but uh, it's definitely got some alcohol there. So we'll see how that develops throughout the day. Okay, Drew, what are you rocking with? I've got the Templin Family Brewing Albion Triple. This is the Belgian style. And sitting at 10.2% ABV and 51 IBUs. 51. So definitely well, super sweet. Got that Belgian funk that you'd kind of expect out of something like this. Uh, well, let's jump in with previous commander decks. All right, so I kind of wanted to briefly talk about the previous decks from the past years that Watsi's provided us, uh, just to kind of show us what it's led us to this point, because 2017 changed a lot of things in the commander decks. So 2011, we had five decks. They were the wedges. Uh, mixed themes around alternate commanders kind of messed with how synergistic the deck was in its entirety. Uh, 2012, we had the Commander Arsenal, which was absolute rubbish. Uh, <laughs> 2013, again, we had five decks. These were the Shards this time around. Uh, and they were slightly more focused around their primary commanders. And specifically, I wanted to mention that there was Aloro, who had abilities that mattered in the command zone as well as on the battlefield. We had 2014, five monocolored decks. These are the monocolored Planeswalkers that could be your commanders. And it was a mixed bag of just like color-specific stuff, but because colors play so well into each other, but because colors play so well into themselves, they really like were a lot more synergistic than I think what the individual cards looked like they were going to be. Um, 2015, again, we had five decks. We had the enemy-colored pairs. These are the experience counters, which I feel like as a whole, the decks are more similar to 2013 than there were any of the other decks as far as like synergies are concerned. Um, but then experience counters just added this like hardly hard to interact with element from the commanders. And 2016, again, five decks. This time we had the four colored decks with incredibly strong commanders. We had the partners. Um, the cards were synergistic with the primary commanders, not necessarily with the uh, like partner pairs, um, and not always with each other. But it brought us a. I mean, well, they're the best decks in the the series thus far. Yeah, that and kind of set the standard for yeah, exactly. commander decks. Or what uh, people last wanted. Time I was going to mention that the 2016 Magus was Mags of the Will, which was Yagmas Will, uh, into a creature, and that's part of that like super cycle. And so 2016 was a big year. It was a good year. So how did Watsi up the ante? I'd, I'd like to hear uh, Corey's opinion on this, on how they upped the ante. On, so, on, yeah, how they upped the ante, what they did, and also whether or not you felt like it was better. I think we'll get into like final thoughts at the very end of the episode, but I think tribal decks, especially in Commander, are something that everybody loves. So I think that, that was a, a good choice for them, and they chose some of the best tribes. Yeah, I was going to say the tribal selection was super important, I think, and, because like they had one that was kind of, it felt like a throwaway at first, but like the deck itself turned out to be pretty solid. Yeah, I think what people wanted was support for lesser known tribes, but yeah, for sure. I think that would just be way too hard to do in a whole commander product. Yeah, your new so cards. I, I think that you just choosing some like of the most strong. popular command or tribes and giving people new new ways to play those tribes or ways to bring those tribes together or cards that we've heard about in the, like the lore and stuff finally having those cards I think makes this product successful in that way The I think yeah. just being tribal the synergy is already there like you can't really mess up tribal unless you have wizards and too many legendary creatures <laughs> but, or dragons and also just all legendary creatures yeah I think 
the different tribes have their own problems, but I think I I thought this was a thumbs up for the product, but I think 2016 is still the best. And we can get more into that later. I'll start it off here uh, with the Arcane Wizardry. This is Grixis Wizards, and the commander they have is Inala, Archmage Ritualist. So for two in Grixis, she's a 4-5 legendary creature human wizard with the eminence ability of whenever another non-token wizard enters the battlefield under your control, if Inala, Archmage Ritualist, is in the command zone or on the battlefield, there's that eminence text, you may pay one. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that wizard, the token gains haste, exile at the beginning of the next end step, and she also has an activated ability, tap five untapped wizards you control, target player loses seven life. So I've played this deck well, for a bit, right. and I will honestly tell you that I forget that she has the activated ability down at the bottom. <laughs> the activated ability is so weird because I think when people think of wizards, they think of like ETBs and just really good really effects, good special not effects, yeah. flooding the board with a lot of wizards, which is what the second ability wants. Yeah. I think her so, first ability though is really powerful, except is, when you use legendary wizards, which a lot of what like, a lot of the best a lot wizards, of good wizards are. Yeah. Also, wizards come at a pretty high cost as far as mana is concerned for the abilities. Like you get a two two for like four mana that has a good ability. But that means you have to pay five mana to get that effect with Inala a second time, right? And you'd be surprised at how difficult that is in this deck to be able to just pay one extra to do that. Like, this deck is, it feels like it wants to be so much more of an aggro deck than anything else, which is not what Wizards does. Like, Wizards is not a tribe that is aggressive. Yeah, and I think just having, being in Grixis, obviously you can bump up the ramp if you lean more on the black side, but in a pre-con, you don't have yeah, any pre-con, of that. Pre-con was and So rough. getting enough mana to cast your spells and then copy them or cast your wizards and copy them was yeah. hard enough. Yeah, to do like any sort of interaction, you know, it it sucked. Uh, yeah. But I guess the better side of Eminence, we've got the cat deck. Yeah, so this is the one that I got and it was Feline Ferocity, which is the Selesnya Kitty Cat deck. And it had Arabo, Roar of the World, as the commander. <clears throat> so it's three green, white for a 5 5 legendary creature cat avatar with eminence at the beginning of combat on your turn. If Arabo is in the command zone or on the battlefield, another target cat you control gets plus three, plus three until end of turn. Whenever another cat you control attacks, you may pay one green, white. If you do, it gains trample and gets plus X, plus X until end of turn where X is its power. So, right away, like, I feel that that's, like, tokens are powerful, getting bonus ETBs is powerful, but, like, just the sheer power dump that that just puts on a creature, plus trample, and just, like, everything else. Yeah, so at the very least, you're getting plus three, plus three, and then if he's on the battlefield, you pay three mana and double it. I pump and smash. I've killed a lot of people <laughs> with this deck and just using those abilities in tandem. Especially yeah. when you factor in double strike, then it gets really, really gross. Yeah, so I asked you guys to give you like you know, top five additions to the deck, and the first one on there was just like, "Yep, I have died to that card." <laughs> yeah, th- yeah. Some of the cards are some spicy ones. So this deck, it was, I think, 
the only the previous cat decks are basically just equipment decks, and so this and they're all mono white, and so having Arbo at least got you to use all the green cats as well. Which there wasn't that many, but like now, Amonkhet was just released right right around there. Yeah, so a lot of the Amonkhet cats were the really Amonkets. good upgrades for this deck because those because the of the power creep those cats were a lot better than a lot of the old cats that they printed. For sure. And then one from Kaladesh as well. Yeah, but there was still uh, a heavy, heavy equipment sub-theme for this deck. I don't even know if it's a sub-theme. It's like half the deck is equipment-based. Yeah. but I mean, it it kind of is Voltron-esque, so it makes sense for the equipment package to be there. Yeah. All right, next one we got is the Vampires. Spicy meatball. Woof. So this is Vampiric Bloodlust led by... Edgar Markov, for three and Mardu, you get a 4-4 legendary creature, Vampire Knight with Eminence. Whenever you cast another vampire spell, if Edgar Markov is in the command zone or on the battlefield, create a 1-1 black vampire creature token. He also has first strike and haste, for whatever reason, and whenever he attacks, put a plus one, plus one counter on each vampire you control. So, so a, you're doubling the value of everything you play in this tribal deck. Yeah, so you're basically making an army until he comes out, and then when he gets out, you're going to immediately swing and then buff your whole army. And pump up. Yeah, it's not even it's not even tell end of turn. They're counters, so you're stacking them, swinging out, and just murdering bitches. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I mean, the eminence effect itself is pretty powerful, so once he's on the battlefield and can do that, the fact that he has haste as well, like, just Thank God it costs a lot of mana to play him. Yeah, it, yeah. That's the that's the only uh, downside you would say to Edgar is that he costs a lot. But honestly, most people when they look at him recognize him as one of the more broken just because he's doing so much as your value engine, and because all these creatures have eminence, it it doesn't matter where he's at. You're running and yeah, gunning. And with Markov specifically, the fact that you do get the token for free just by playing the creature, whereas with in all, yep. you do have to pay that extra one. And, I mean, it's almost like the Rhystic Study effect. Do you want to pay one? Like that. It heads up so much, so fast. You're like, no, not really. Yeah, and just the fact that it's Mardu vampires, meaning there's a lot of aristocrat stuff, and having things just to sacrifice for free, basically, is so yeah. good in these colors. And vampires already cared a lot about plus one, plus one counters and combat tricks and all this crazy stuff, so... It's he's, the perfect color combination for this type of uh, a deck. Yeah. Usually you think of a 6-6 six, six as not being, or a 6-drop being not very fast, but Edgar is so fast without doing anything. <laughs> so fast. Which is why in most cases, Edgar is not only considered broken, but one-on-one he's banned. So yeah. it's, it's one of those ones where it seems like a weird, oh, you only get a 1-1, one, one, but you can start doing that from turn one. You're playing as many vampires as you possibly can. Yeah. Uh, it gets out of control fast. Yeah, the damage on board that is represented in your command zone is, seems unintuitive, but it's very, very quick. Okay, we got and one the last more one we have is the exact right. opposite. <laughs> yeah, we've got Draconic Domination. So this is the Wooburg Dragons, but uh, the Ur-Dragon. Four and Wooburg for a 10-10 legendary creature, Dragon Avatar. With the Eminence ability, as long as the Ur-Dragon is in the command zone or on the battlefield... Other dragon spells you cast cost one less to cast. That's a very strong ability in and of itself. Dragons are expensive, yeah, so that's great. Also has flying, you know, as basically all dragons do. And 
Whenever one or more dragons you control attack, draw that many cards. Then you may put a permanent card from your hand onto the battlefield. Wow. Big, massive effect there. The card draw that's built in, the ability to just cheat permanents out, it, the ability itself is insane. But it's also attached to a nine mana dragon that costs Wooberg plus four. Like that's. So, Drew, you have this deck, correct? Yes, I do. Uh, I've been working on upgrading it, but as it turns out, good dragons are expensive. Both in game and out of game. Yeah, true. And that's the reason why the eminence effect is so good. It's just that cost reduction. Like, you expect basically six mana for most dragons. And all of a sudden, dropping that down to five really like puts your clock for damage, anyways, uh, forward quite a bit. Yeah, I think a lot of people say that ramp, card draw, and cheating costs are the best things in Magic, or at least in Commander. Yeah. And this guy does them all for dragons. <laughs> so each of these decks came with alternative commanders, like most of the decks before it, if not all. And uh, first up, we've got the Wizzies, the Wizard deck. What are our two? alternative commanders, guys. So we've got Kess, Dissonant Mage, one of my favorite... I think she's probably my favorite Grixis commander. That's saying a lot because I have like four Grixis decks. So, uh, she's quite good, though. Yeah, so she's, she's really good. One in Grixis for a 3-4 legendary creature, human wizard with flying. During each of your turns, you may cast an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. If a card cast this way, it will be put into your graveyard this turn. Exile it instead. So it basically just gives you a free flashback pretty spell. pretty goddamn good if you ask me. <laughs> Yeah, she's she's very, very strong. Yeah, she's CDH. There's consultation decks with her now, but she used yeah. to be the, the go-to Doomsday deck after Xur. She's really good. So uh, we, the next one up we've got, next we've got Mersil the Pretender. So Mersil is a goofy, goofy card. Like It's hard to predict what's going to come out of a Mersil deck when you play against one. So again, one in Grixis for 4-4 four, four legendary creature, human wizard. When Mirsil the Pretender enters the battlefield, you may exile an artifact or creature card from your hand or graveyard and put a cage counter on it. Mirsil the Pretender has all activated abilities of all cards you own in exile with cage counters on them. You may activate each of those abilities only once each turn. So Mirsil is basically like a self-contained toolbox. Uh, wants you to have a massive array of activated abilities in your deck so that any situation that you come across anything that you need you can have access to uh he can be ramp card draw he can do combo like all of it is just good good shit i've seen a marisol de- deck in action and they're wild like yeah. it's so hard to keep track of what they can do and what they're doing right now because there's just so many weird cards that never get used being exiled and you're just like what <laughs> yeah marisol's one that's just like hey can i read that <laughs> just like yeah you four, have to read every times. single card so uh, the last one was a reprint, which I was a big fan of, uh, is Marchesa the Black Rose. So, so dope. Marchesa have a deck based around her as well. Uh, so one in Grixis for 3-3, Legendary Creature, Human Wizard. She's got Dethrone. Uh, she was from the Conspiracy 2 set. Whenever this creature attacks, the player with the most life or tied for the most life, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Super dope mechanic in and of itself. And we have other creatures you control have Dethrone. So huge huge just power buff to your board if you're swinging at the person with the most life it's really kind of like equalizer on the battlefield whenever a creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it dies return that card to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of the next end step that's the money right there yeah 
that's the thing you abuse. <laughs> yeah, that's the th- yeah, literally. Uh, like you basically just have infinite ETBs creatures like combat. This deck wants to be aggro as fuck. Uh, just kind of like I said, act as the equalizer, attack the player in the lead. You get those counters, then you throw those creatures under the bus. You need to defend yourself, or you sacrifice them, whatever happens to be, and they come back again. You get more ETBs, you get more aggro. Like you just cycle. And That's I've got so a, hard. Yeah, from to what stay I can stay understand, from our chase deck, because you have to just yeah. kill everything at least twice. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next up, we've got the cats. So the kitties came with two um, alternate commanders, and they're both sort of very different strategies for the tribe. So Arabo was kind of a a go big guy, where he he pumps people up and then he can double up their attack. And then trample through and just one shot people. Yeah. But this next one is Nazan Revered Bladesmith. So it's four green and white for a five four legendary creature cart cat artificer. When Nazan enters the battlefield, search your library for an equipment card and reveal it. If you reveal a card named Hammer of Nazan this way, put it onto the battlefield. Otherwise, put that card into your hand. Then shelf your library. Whenever an equipped creature you control attacks, you may tap target creature defending player controls. So Time. that less that second ability you don't really care about because tapping one blocker usually doesn't matter. The thing you really care about is tutoring for your best equipment card. And Hammer of Zahn is one of the best equipment cards. <laughs> yeah, that card is insane. Yeah, so I'll read Hammer of Nazan real quick because they go hand in hand. It's basically a partner deck with these two. Because you almost always tutor for Hammer, unless you tutor for like a win con or something. So Hammer of Nizan is a four mana artifact, legendary artifact equipment. Whenever Hammer of Nizan or another equipment enters the battlefield under your control, you may attach that equipment to target creature you control. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus zero, and has indestructible. And equip cost of four. Yeah, so the equip cost on Hammer basically is never paid. Yeah, so you, you get Nizan, you tutor for the hammer. If it's the hammer, then you cheat it onto the battlefield. If it's any other artifact you put in your hand. So he automatically becomes a 7-4 indestructible that cheats the rest of your equipment cost for the rest of the game. Sounds as long as he's mad. Seems, so, seems good. Yeah, so he's definitely the Voltron commander because you can blink him and tutor for the best equipment you have. Uh, another thing that a lot of people do is you put Blade of Selves on him. And oh. you swing, and then the myriad triggers. You get your three best equipment, and then all suit them up because you get you have the hammer out, so you can cheat them up. It's pretty gross. So this next one, it's a fan favorite, and I think this might be the best commander. Not in the like four cats, but in this deck, I think this commander is more powerful than the other two. So it's Miri Weatherlight Duelist. One green and a white for a three-two legendary creature cat warrior. She has first strike. Whenever Miri Weatherlight Duelist attacks, each opponent can't block with more than one creature this combat. As long as Miri Weatherlight Duelist is tapped, no more than one creature can attack you each combat. So she's the go-wide strategy. She, you make a bunch of dudes, you swing everything out, they can only block one dude, and there's almost no crackback because they can only attack you with one guy as long as Miri's tapped. Yeah. And so... That's the but basic. you still like to have a lot of those Voltron esque equipment cars with this gal just to protect her. Yeah, Voltron it helps all of these decks, but Nizan is most geared towards it. And yeah. there's there's a token strategy sub theme in this deck, and so Miri's 
uh, focus more on that. But honestly, yeah. she's just you can just throw her in a deck and she's just she's really, really good, good. Yeah, she, addition to any deck that cares either about tokens, pillow fort. Like it's weird how much like interaction she has across the board. Yeah. Yeah, she's very, very strong. Now when we talk about the vampire deck, um, these Mardu vampires love gaining life. So if you thought a six mana commander was good, let me tell you about an eight mana commander. Uh, it's Lysia Sanguine Tribute 5 and Mardu for a 4-4 legendary creature vampire soldier. But Lysia Sanguine Tribute costs one less to cast for each one life you've gained this turn. So you're trying to gain some life. Uh, she has first strike and lifelink, and if you pay five life, you put three plus one plus one counters on Lysia. Activate this ability only on your turn and only once each turn. So very clearly, she's looking at more of the drain kind of Mardu Vampires deck. You're trying to gain life as well as deal direct damage, uh, and then pop her out and pump it up. Yeah, I've seen Lysia decks here cost, generally speaking, for playing the commander on average I think it's like four and that scales yeah. with the game where she just always yeah. is costing like four yeah because even with the commander tax you're still just able to gain so much life with random you know like uh, extort triggers and shit like that like you just can drain so easily in Dude, Mardu Soul Sisters yeah so good gross with her the other secondary commander that we have is Mathis Fiend Seeker, a much more reasonable mana cost. Red, white, black. Just Mardu for a 3-3 legendary creature vampire with Menace, which is surprisingly good, guys. <laughs> uh, at the beginning of your end step, put a bounty counter on target creature and opponent controls. For as long as that creature has a bounty counter on it, it has... When this creature dies, each opponent draws a card and gains two life. So this almost feels a little group hug-ish kind of, you know, you're putting a bounty on everybody's creatures and trying to draw attention to other players on the board. People it's a usually political, it apolitical type of card. It's like, yeah. hey, we all want to work together to do this. You know, you'll get the benefit off of it. But it's also like, hey, you know, it's just the effect. It's not like I'm, I'm the one making you target that person's stuff. Yeah, I think it's 100% flavor. And there's a lot of cool Cowboy Bebop decks that people make with this guy. But oh, I shit. That's dope. It's just you can only put one counter on your end step. And so it's just really, yeah. really, really slow. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that it doesn't matter how many counters are on it. Yeah. Like, it's not like uh, Proliferate or anything like that is going to help Yeah, you it'd there. be sweet if, like, when that creature dies, you put on another creature or something like that. Just so you can yeah. start loading the board just up. Chain it that way. Yeah. But he's, he's still super cool. All right, so the last one is the dragon deck. Corey, why don't you actually dive into Ramos' dragon engine? Okay, so... Roar. Yeah, this guy, I think he's he's been a card that people have wanted forever. Yeah, they had like the, the, the eye, the... Yeah, all the different the... body parts of Ramos. So he's Ramos' dragon engine for six mana. He's a legendary artifact creature dragon, 4-4 four, four with flying. Whenever you cast a spell, put a plus one plus one counter on Ramos for each of that spell's colors. Remove five plus one plus one counters from Ramos and then add progenitus mana, which is white, white, blue, blue, black, black, red, red, green, green to your mana pool. Activate this ability only once each turn. 
<laughs> so Wooberg twice. Yes, Fuck. <laughs> Devil Wooberg. Um, so he cares about lots of colored spells, or just load him up with counters and make a shitload of mana and just do whatever you want with it. Yeah. True. You don't have to use colors to give him plus one plus yeah. one counters. You just need to remove plus one plus yeah. one counters. So yeah. There's and a anyway, giant loophole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like the general idea is just cast, you know, multicolored spells, build up your mana bank, cast that in to just cast like CMC, just big power cards. Yeah. And so even though he's uh, an artifact creature, since he has Wooberg in his uh, reminder text or activated he's ability text, commander. he's a five color legendary creature too, or five color commander as well. So you can really do whatever yeah. you want with him. He's just big mana kids. Yeah, stuff. literally. So the next one is Okagachi Vengeful Kami. So this one, another one that's just one on the flavor. So Okagachi is one and Wooberg for legendary creatures. It's a dragon spirit. It's a 6-6. Six, six. Got flying and trample. And whenever Okagachi Vengeful Kami deals combat damage to a player, if that player attacked you during his or her last turn, exile target non-land permanent. That player controlled. Decently powerful effect, but it does require your opponents to actually interact with you. Uh, I like to look at Okagachi is kind of a hands-off approach that's a pillow fort mimic. Yeah, it's kind of a weird effect because they have to deal combat damage to you. And so it's just like, I'm not. Gonna, I'm just not going to attack you. Like, we're cool. <laughs> um, the last one we have is Scion of the Ur-Dragon. So uh, dragons like Wizards got a reprint that can be your commander. Scion of the Ur-Dragon is just really one of the most powerful dragons that you could play. Um, so it's just Wooberg for a 4-4 legendary creature dragon avatar. Got flying, and for two colorless mana, search your library for a dragon permanent card and put it into your graveyard. If you do, Sign of the Urge Dragon becomes a copy of that card until end of turn, then shuffle your library. So there are just some absolutely broken things you can do with Sign of the Urge Dragon. Um, kind of similar to uh, what Marisol is, a perfect toolboxy commander. It just wants you to have super powerful dragons in your deck. Yeah, it's it's almost like a mix between like a really hard ramp slash cheating mana cost deck and a Voltroni deck because you have to be able to protect the Ur Dragon, but at the same time you're able to just like pay two mana, get any fucking thing you want, and throw it out there and start. Well, you dragging. don't have to do that, right? Like if you have a dragon that I don't know has indestructible or hexproof or something like that, and just like they're targeting it. Hey, guess what? I paid two mana. You wasted your spell. Yeah. Nice try, bitch. It's, it's, I think the closest comparison we have in another tribe is yeah. Sliver Overlord, which is usually the go-to for Sliver's X because it can tutor for any Sliver you want. And so you can just get all the best Slivers. And same with this guy, you can get all yeah. the best dragons. And with Sign of the Air Dragon, the most broken thing you can do with it is one of my like favorite shells in general is just to do a reanimator strategy. Because you're just always throwing your dragons into the bin, and then if you can just bring them yeah. back, like you are cheating costs so hard if you can do that. And you're in Wooberg, yeah, you so you can. You yeah, you can do whatever. Yeah, the hardest part is just if you ever have to actually play the dragons. Because I mean, playing Scion with your dragon is difficult in and of itself. It is Wooberg just outright. Like, you're not playing that on turn five usually. Um, these precons also came with. Uh, some cycles, so just something that each deck had, you know, a little bit of. Um, and the first cycle we're going to talk about is the Kindred cycle. So we've got Kindred Boon. For two white-white, it's an enchantment. As Kindred Boon enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. 
one and a white, put a divinity counter on target creature you control of the chosen type. Each creature you control with a divinity counter on it has indestructible. Cool. It's good in a deck where you're being super aggressive and you're just always throwing shit at people. It's it's not the best. Yeah. It's but it's totally serviceable. And the next one is I think the second best one. Um it's kind of funny like looking at the kindred spells and the curses. Uh we keep saying it time and time again and I think the magic community has said it time and time again. Uh Simic does not need any help. Blue's good. So Kindred's discovery is the blue kindred spell. So it's three blue blue for an enchantment. I'm already on board. Uh, as Kindred Discovery enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Generally speaking, you're choosing whatever tribe you're working with. Since it's in the Dragon's deck, you know, there's your benefit. Whenever creature you control of the chosen type enters the battlefield or attacks, draw a card. Damn. Yeah, not, not really much that needs I to love be drawing cards. added to that. Like, It's an insanely powerful effect. Yeah, off ETBs is super blue, but on the attack triggers, it's less blue yeah. than I would have thought. But it's it's card draw. It's a super good doubling up card draw. So the next one we've got is Kindred Dominance. So it's five black black for a sorcery. Choose a creature type. Destroy all creatures that aren't of the chosen type. I mean, just a good one sided. So I think, way. yeah, I think. Most of the time, it's just going to be a one-sided board wipe, but every once in a while, there's going to be a couple things that survive. And I think it's really, really good in if you were just playing these decks against each other. I think it might be too good because it really just wipes everybody yeah, out. Yeah, I think that there's one yeah. card, that, or one creature card, that is in both the vampire and wizard deck. Yeah, I know. That, I don't think there's any cats. Cat overlap. Yeah, there's, no cats. <laughs> there's one cat dragon, but oh, it's only in the dragon deck. But, but yeah, it's not in both. Is what yeah, I was yeah. I think vampire wizards would be the only uh, tribe that would overlap. Yeah. Next one up we've got is kindred charge four red red for a sorcery. Choose a creature type for each creature you control of the chosen type. Create a token that's a copy of that creature. Those tokens gain haste. Exile them at the beginning of the next end step. It is very red. Yeah. Uh, yeah it is. And even though it's six mana. That's fucking That's a powerful, man. Big, big effect. Double your power and toughness. For everything. Yeah. It's like it's not just power and toughness. It's ATBs. It's like abilities, lifelink, double strike, whatever. Like if you have, I don't know, say some way to double your tokens, then you just get an even better effect. Yeah, the the card art is goblins charging, so I think that that yeah. shows you exactly where this card is meant to be played. Because <laughs> that's how you kill people. If you have 50 goblins, then now, now you have 100 goblins. Yeah, okay, the last can, one... Like, do some shenanigans with blocking. Like, this card kills people. Seriously. So the last one is stupid good, Drew. Which one is that one? We've got the Kindred Summons. So this one was in the cat deck, and I was super mad. It's because, like, this is the one that... They had to give the cats something. It's cats, man. It's, True. It was the only two-color deck. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But I think this one is the best of the Kindred decks, or Kindred cards. And the reason why I said Simic doesn't need any more help is because the best two are the blue and the green here. So it's five green green for an instant. Choose a creature type. 
reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal X creature cards of the chosen type, where X is the number of creatures you control of that type. Put those cards onto the battlefield, then shuffle the rest of the revealed cards and put them into your library. So we just talked about with the red one, doubling all your things is really good. So this just tutors for the best things you have in your deck, basically, and just cheats them out. I mean, because relative tutor, I right? think you, Yeah, because you... I mean, obviously, you're most likely going to play this with whatever tribe you're using. But you can also do some weird, wacky stuff where you can stack your deck, don't only have one other creature type that shares with it, so you automatically get that one out. Yeah. Or I mean, it's you a can use tutor, cards. But also, like, this thing works stupid good with tokens. Because it doesn't care yeah. how you got the creatures, just creature cards that you reveal that match the type of the creatures you've chosen. Yeah, and then it, it works really, really well if you use the cards that change the creature types, like Conspiracy and stuff. So you can just choose, like, demons or whatever. Yeah. And if you have 10 tokens, you get 10 actual demons straight out of your deck. Yeah, it's just... Or whatever whatever you want. Huge, huge, powerful effect. Yeah, and it's instant speed, so you can do it... <laughs> yeah. At somebody's end Too step, much. like... Yeah, do it the end step before Seven it's your turn it win the game. Fair, but it's it's still really good. So the next cycle we have is it's a weird cycle, and I don't think anybody asked for these to come back, but it's curses. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, these are the attack curses. And once again we'll say, How many times can we say Simic does not need any help? So whenever the curse player is attacked, there's an effect for both the attacker and and the owner of the cursed one who played it on them. First one up, we've got Curse of Vitality, which is two and a white for an enchantment aura curse. Enchant player, whenever enchanted player is attacked, you gain two life. Each opponent attacking that player does the same. So, so again, this is the worst of It's them. a life gain benefit. Like yeah. White. By a lot. Yeah, white. <laughs> By a lot. Honestly, who the fuck cares about two life? <laughs> Yeah, if it was just if it was like two life or one life for each attacking creature or something like that, that'd be good. That'd be playable. This is just trash. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, The next one we have is Curse of Verbosity. So this one, I I would say, is fair card draw. For two and a blue, got the curse. Uh, Whenever enchanted player is attacked, draw a card. Each opponent attacking that player does the same. So this is the first of the curses where I, I look at it and say, I might actually play that because it will definitely have the lure effect that you want curses to have. Like, gain two life, I don't give a fuck. I'm ignoring that all game. If I attack them, incidentally, gain two life, great. But I'm not specifically attacking them to get that effect. I might attack people to get that extra card draw. Oh, yeah. So the next one is Curse of Disturbance. It's two and a black for an enchantment or a curse. Enchant player, whenever enchanted player is attacked, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. Each opponent attacking that player does the same. So you get an extra zombie. Like, you get at least a blocker yeah. when you swing all out. True. So it's it's okay. You get something to sack or yeah, you get a blocker, but it's yeah. it's just very I label just as mediocre token gen because I curses are. don't think anyone cares that much about it unless they're already in like a, a token strategy or zombie strategy where they can actually use that or they want to sacrifice. But like... Yes, you're adding four power and toughness to the board just by having somebody else attack, but like, it's not the biggest lure even for you as the player who's playing this spell. So like, if if I don't want to attack the player, even though I'm the yeah. one who put the curse on them to get that effect, 
I don't really know where that card belongs. Yeah, again, because it's only whenever player is attacked instead of whenever a creature attacks a player or whatever, you know, it it's not quite enough to get all of your opponents to attack that player, so it's really not going to benefit you three times per, you know, round of the table. Yeah, yeah four mana. zombie every what once in a while isn't, isn't yeah. worth it. The next one we got is Curse of Opulence. It's one red mana for an enchantment or a curse enchant player. Whenever enchanted player is attacked, create a colorless artifact token named Gold. It has sacrificed this artifact. Add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Each opponent attacking that player does the same. It's now, not too bad. One, it's super cheap to play. This one seems so a bit better. You need to start getting that effect. And early game, people are gonna people are gonna exactly. utilize that. They're gonna want to get that token. It's kind of a pseudo ramp effect, right? But if you can do it every turn, then it's just legitimate ramp. I was going to say, this is the one that I see having the most benefit if it's in your hand turn one. You're going to play it and hope that you can ramp even one or two times per round of the table. That's a huge benefit for you and anybody else that's trying to to play the game. You know what I mean? If they're going to attack with their first creature, yeah, of course they're going to do that with the curse. Yeah, I think just making Absolutely. this one mana helps it so much because, like yeah. you guys said, it comes down early and even if you're just playing red in addition to another color having yeah and it's extra, extra mana, mana at any point that you need just it right so like you can sacrifice the token whenever to get that mana just cash it in when you need it you're good to go uh yeah yeah just like the card draws like yeah i could use next cards like oh yeah i can use extra mana next turn yeah it's great i mean even use it this turn right like yeah um so the last one we have is curse of bounty it's one in a green for a curse Whenever enchanted player is attacked, untap all non-land permanents you control. Jesus. Each opponent attacking that player untaps on them non-land permanents he or she controls. So this this one is like far and away I think the best one because you can abuse it so much. Like card draw is gonna be good. Ramp is gonna be very good. Like both of those kind of blow the other two out of the water, but all of a sudden you have a vigilance effect. Right, you attack immediately those creatures on tap. Uh, pseudo ramp, because you can have like Lanoir Elves or anything, uh, Signets, anything like that, also going to untap. Uh, you've just got like general untap shenanigans that you can do. If you can get multiple like attack steps and things like that, it doesn't matter if you're doing damage, you just have to attack them. And if you're the player who played it, like, yeah, by all means, like, yes, you, you do your, the bullshit you want to do on your turn attacking them but I'm going to get massive benefit off of it. Yeah, I would I would kind of be scared to play this cuz like I, it's really good, but I don't want to give that to, to other people. Yeah, right. It's too good if everybody has it. Well, everybody but the one person. But like, yeah. it's the making first time. the best one two mana, I think oh, yeah, mistake. It was a mistake because it's too good. It's way better than all the other ones. Yeah. Like all the shit ones are if the if the shit ones were one mana, they might be playable. Yeah, but having like, the best one cheaper than the worst ones, no wonder no one was ever yeah, going to touch this. This is a bad name for a reason. But this is like yeah. the first, like I would say, legitimately playable curse. Yeah. Well, and you're genuinely going to draw hate from whoever you curse with this because it's so good. It that draws everyone else into it. They need to get that shit off the yeah. board. Yeah, and it's yeah. So they're going to kill you at all costs. And just like how the other cards. The bad side is that they didn't care about the creatures attacking. With this, you only need to attack with one thing. Yep. It doesn't even have to survive. You just got to swing, yep. and you get essentially an extra untap. 
the last of the actual cycles that we're going to talk about here is part of this super cycle that Watsi had going on, one of each color throughout the decks from 2015 on. The card here we have from the super cycle for the MAGA cycle is Mags of the Mind. So it's four blue blue for a creature human wizard. It's a four five and it has an activated ability blue and tap, sacrifice Mags of the Mind, shuffle your library, then exile the top X cards where X is one plus the number of spells cast this turn. Till end of turn, you may play cards exiled this way without paying their mana cost. So this Magus is based off of Mind's Desire for the same mana cost as the original cost there. Uh, and it's a storm card. So shuffle your library, exit the top card of your library until end of turn, you can play that card without paying the mana cost, and it has storm. So this just slots into a storm deck. It's super, super good. Uh, it's basically just like one of the high-end finishers for a storm deck. Yeah, usually... Yeah. Well, being expensive, the, the overall power level of the card is just unfathomable in the right build. Yeah, usually yeah. in a storm deck, you want to avoid... <laughs> six drops unless they will win you the game and this is just one of those cards yeah. so if you let this survive and you go around the table with it you're probably gonna lose <laughs> yeah or if it has you know haze or anything like that yeah, um, yeah. so mind's desire is banned in every format including legacy it's restricted in vin- vintage it seems you get one copy of it command is the only place where you actually have like full legality on playing it if that doesn't tell you the power level of it i don't know what does yeah well the last quote-unquote cycle that we have here is the the nega cycle so the nega cycle is just what i have called just cards that shouldn't have been printed right or reprinted as the case may be so we had cyclonic rift in 2015 atraxa and thrasios in 2016 and then we got tp which we'll talk about later but definitely some overpowered cards so we've been talking about all this magic stuff we haven't really described the beers at all Corey, would you like to start us off or gary maybe you would then beers I was drinking the Cross Fever Amber Ale from Epic Brewing, which is uh, Utah slash Colorado brewing. We love everything they do. They're really good. And this one is 5.1% and 20 IBUs. So it's it's about as easy drinking as you can get. And that really shows it's, yeah. it's super malty. It's a, just a beautiful amber ale. It's I think it's really straightforward in what it does. It's very very malt forward and then it just that's kind of the one note that it has but it's super smooth lots of drinkability it's i i would say i know we use approachable a lot but this is very very approachable and i think this is kind of just a standard amber ale so if you like amber ales definitely check this one out but it's it's not doing anything too crazy and i think that is perfectly fine because it is delicious yeah absolutely yeah my notes on it it's just that it is a malt forward beer, right? Like, I think yep. I had this one for Drew's Brews like many, many months ago. But it's one of epics that, as far as their like normal line, that I just continue to go back to. Yeah, my first taste on this at uh, you know 11 p.m. at night when I tried this out a couple of nights ago was very like hop piney forward, really? which. I think might have just been because I hadn't eaten anything or had anything to drink for like six hours <laughs> or something like that. Like I, it just it just felt very uh, bitter. But honestly, after sipping it for like an hour, the only thing I tasted was like a a really kind of watery malt forward beer. Like it's kind of crisp and clear, but it's it's almost faint. 
You know what I mean? Like it's not super, super saturated with flavor. Uh, but like Corey said, super approachable. It's pretty tasty. Yeah. Smooth as hell. All right, Gary. And the one that I'm drinking is the Vernal Brewing Company Mama's Milk. It's an imperial milk stout sitting at 8.5%. So for a long time, uh, I said that the Bullet Porter on Nitro was Utah's best beer. I think that yep. this one has uh, unseated the throne. Really? Yeah, I do think that this is now Utah's best beer. That's because you haven't had the Shades Tom Koss Hour. Blow your mind off. It. I've had that one, and I still stand by. I have not had that one, so we'll... Uh, Gary, and you'll love it. We'll put it up to a vote. Uh, I will say that this is a very good beer. However, unlike the beer before, it is quite strong. It's very abrasive when you start drinking it. Uh, to me, it was really, really sweet. Like it was almost sugary sweet. When it came to the malt flavors, to me, it tasted more like a malted. Uh, what do you call that? It's not a syrup, but like a. What do they mix in when you're brewing? Extract. Extract. Thank you. It was very like syrupy, extracty, and then a huge overtone of alcohol. <laughs> like you could definitely taste alcohol with this beer. It is sweet, though, so I gravitate towards it. I liked it quite a bit. Uh, I don't know if I would call it Utah's best beer of all time, but it is quite it's good. It's Utah's current in my best opinion. beer. Don't worry. It, it gets unseated, <laughs> you know, like every two years. I yeah, think so the like, alcohol tones, I didn't really get as much as what you have. I've had this damn. beer several times. Um, but I think that the malt, like, it is, it takes all of the flavors of a milk stout that you want, and it, like, capitalizes on them so damn well it's smooth creamy malty kind of a little bit chocolatey like it has all of those things that you want out of it and it does them all so damn well yeah admittedly it was very very smooth yeah i wrote that it it looks exactly like a root beer and it's about as smooth as one without all the carbonation like you guys said it's super super smooth as you'd expect in a milk stout and there's just like the, right off the the smell, it's super, super malty with a lot of chocolatey notes too. And then there's just a little hint of vanilla on the back end that I was getting. Yeah. But like you said, Gary, and all that. I could taste was alcohol. And it was, it was a lot. hard to drink. <laughs> yeah. But it was good. It was good. Yeah. But a lot it was of a really lot. good flavors, but it was just very, very strong. Which is weird because it was 8%. And then the next beer we have is an even higher alcohol. <laughs> yeah. True. The... Templin Family Brewing got the Albion, which is their Belton style ale, their uh, the triple. This one, uh, a lot of sweet beers that we have on this episode. Yeah, like this one's yep. funky. It's sweet. It's pretty light. Uh, it's nice and crisp still. Uh, like uber refreshing. Like all of these things that I generally don't attribute to triples or to like Belton style. Uh, like stronger building styles with higher alcohol percent and then it just has this like right at the end after you get through like all of those flavors it just has this alcoholic burn that just sits on the back of your tongue forever i mean this one sits at a 10.2 but i tasted it as a five like i really did not taste the alcohol at all like i did with the mama's milk yeah it just tasted like a a really good ale you know what i mean it was like malty with a little bit of bitters and just like 
very balanced to where it tasted like a beer instead of tasting like a flavored beer. It just tasted like beer to me. Yeah, I got a lot of the malts, but like right away, it was just like that fruity banana esters, that funky town that you'd expect in a Belgian. But I'm kind of in the middle of you two because the alcohol wasn't super prevalent, but you could smell it and I could definitely taste it, but it wasn't overpowering. So that's really, but it it was really, really sweet and also really smooth. Uh, And beer of the show. The, uh, the cross fever amber ale to me was a bit too bitter, at least at first, and that could have been my state of drinking at that point. I'm gonna vote the triple. The Albion is really, really kind of middle of the road, tasty beer, malty and sweet, but not overly sweet. Uh, next in line would be Mama's Milk though, because it was whew, quite sweet and good, sugary. <laughs> Corey, what about you? I'm also on board for the triple i just i don't know i like funky stuff and i've always liked belgians this one i think it was a lot easier to drink than a lot of belgians because a lot of them are for like sure. like heavy funk yeah and a lot of them are higher alcohol and you can taste the alcohol in those ones well this one is super easy to drink at least for me so i think the while the the funk was the funk that you'd expect it was still super smooth super sweet super good funk so I really like that yeah. one. Can't really argue with any of those notes. For me, um, these are all Utah beers, and I've just said that Mama's Milk is the best Utah beer, so I am going to stand by that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's try and wrap this episode up here. Uh, we've got some some goodies out of these decks, some reprints, some just general good cards. And I've asked you guys, uh, since you've had the experience of playing with this specific decks, to – just give us a hint at the upgrades that maybe people would want to add. I think like Corey was saying at the beginning of the episode, it's very easy to upgrade these decks uh, because they're tribal and they tell you what they want. So like Corey was saying, like adding cats to the cat deck is never going to be bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can play however you want. There's obviously a good and a bad way to do it. But even if you do like the least optimal way, you're still synergistic. Yeah. But we've each built at least one of these decks. Uh, so let's jump into it. All right, so first one we have are the winners from the Wizards. So first one I put on here, uh, Corey, it's a favorite of yours of mine. Love it. It's a good old time. So let's disrupt decorum. Uh-huh. Two red, red, sorcery. Goad all creatures you don't control. And it's got the reminder text here for you, in case you don't know what goad is. Until your next turn, those creatures attack each combat if able and attack a player other than you, if able. So, this card is... It's it's a removal card, it's a free attack card. <laughs> it just yeah. it gets the game going. And, like, I love yeah. forced combats, so it really... It's so red, because it just it ruins control oh. strategy so much. <laughs> yeah, what's funny is that for the... Uh, what's the sec? I only have blue and red cards on my winner's list. It does oh, have the Kindred Dominance, I believe, yeah. which, you know, I don't need to talk about that card again. Very good. Um, so the next one we have is Polymorphous Jest. So I love, I love this card. <laughs> For one blue blue with an instant until end of turn, each creature target player controls loses all abilities and becomes a blue frog with base power and toughness. One, one. That's just a big middle finger. To <laughs> yeah. <one. laughs> so someone wants to Sorry, bummer. swing out 
go nuts. Neuter the shit out of them. Someone wants to, you know, fuck on you. Well, now your creatures lose all abilities. Enjoy that. Uh, it doesn't target. This is basically like a reverse one-sided board wipe, I guess. Like, it's a targeted board wipe for that person. It's really good in comboing with other spells that deal, like, X damage or, you know, low amounts of damage across the board. Uh, it's just, it's a fun card. It's a goofy card, but it has the ability to just absolutely hose someone. Yeah, just like Goad. It just messes everything up. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. It's weird that the wizard deck has it, though, because exactly, I feel like it's most detrimental it. to the wizard deck because uh, because of the untappy, kind of tappy-tappy shenanigans that wizards can do. Yeah, but I mean, it's but so it's, thematic for a wizard just to turn something into a frog. Yeah. Ha-ha! Now it's everything. All right, next one we have is Portal Mage. There's another one I just absolutely love the effect on. It's so fun. So, two in blue for creature human wizards. It's a two-two. It's got a flash, and when it enters the battlefield, during the declare attacker step, you may reselect which player or planeswalker target attacking creature is attacking. You want to fuck on me? No, you fuck on this guy. And that's it. I dig that. Yeah, it's it's really good. Sometimes it's like, hey, can anyone do anything? I need some help. It's just like, yeah. It's not attacking you no more. He's attacking my, the, the fourth player over there. I was going to say, it's a screw you and a screw him over yeah. there. It, it always feels good when someone says, I think I can win. Or I think I've got lethal on board. And it's like, oh, yeah. Nah, dog. You ain't going nowhere. <laughs> you, you done mathed up. Like Next it. one we have is Serendip Sorcerer for one blue blue. Creature Human Wizard for one one. As the activate ability of tap, target creature other than Serendip Sorcerer has base power and toughness zero two until end of turn. Kind of similar to uh, Polymorphous Jest, except it's repeatable. And it's it's a very unassuming card at first, but like it really, really fucks people up. It can get rid of a whole lot of shit all at once if you try. I mean, yeah, if you're abusing the untapped mechanics for sure. <laughs> yeah. The last one we have here is Shifting Shadow. So this one, uh, the summary is it's Chaos Warp on an enchantment. So it's two in red. You put on a creature, and then at the beginning of your upkeep, you destroy the creature and reveal cards uh, from the top of your library until you reveal another creature. You put that on the battlefield and attach Shifting Shadow to it, and that creature gets haste. So it's really good for cycling through your own deck if you want. Really good for filling up the graveyard every turn. Really good for giving the creatures haste and being able to attack in, just cheating stuff out out, out of nowhere. Um, the card's goofy, and a lot of the shit from the Wizards deck kind of matches that but I think this one's just been a lot of fun to play with and I think putting it into a different deck uh, has a lot of potential for something like I don't know dragons just cheating out dragons time and time again yeah cheating out dragons are good <laughs> yeah uh, and then I was looking at like ways to upgrade the deck um, the immediate one that came to mind is just Sundial of the Internet Manala wants to make tokens they get exiles end of turn. Well, if you just end your turn before that happens, you keep those tokens. Boom. Great. Um, they've got Nibon, Dean of Iteration. Um, this one, you actually need have Inala on the battlefield because it cares about the uh, trigger abilities. So, casting a, a wizard, having that enter the battlefield, you make a token. You need that trigger to happen while Nala's on the battlefield because Nibon will copy that. And that's really awesome. Um, Narameha, Master Wizard, or Dual Caster Mage. Um, they're both good additions 
they have the ability to flash in to copy an instant sorcery. Marameha is the better version, um, aside from being a uh, legendary creature, because she also just gives your wizards plus one plus one. Thassa's Oracle from most recent Theros set, just a, a win con on its own. Very good. Yep. Um, especially if you can copy that ability. Like, that's pretty damn good. Um, the Dalkin Aether Mage is itself a wizard tutor that is a tutor for wizards, which is so, so, so dope. Um, and then just wizard tutors in general. Spellseeker, Tribute Mage, Trophy Mage, things like that. Um, copying those types of effects. Like, if you can copy a tutor for one, you're probably going to do that. That's something that's going to be a value to you. Um, Tribute Mage specifically can tutor for Send Out of the Infinite. So, great little little combo there for you. Um, Docent of Perfection is just, like, the wizard beater. <laughs> like, um, Yeah, this is the go-wide wizard. <laughs> yeah. You have more experience on that card. Yeah, so it's a f- one of the flip cards from Innistrad, and it, I think if you have three wizards and it flips, then it gives all your wizards plus two, plus one, and flying. And so it's just like, oh, these little dudes that really don't do a whole lot, they have ETBs and stuff, all of a sudden they get real scary and unblockable, and then it's just like, I can't, I'm just going to die. <laughs> yeah, and the last one is Stony Brook Banneret. Um, I think that's a really good addition to the tech because it makes your wizards cost one less, which if you're trying to copy your wizard spells and you have to pay one to do that, then you just pay the cost of the wizard and boom. Two for one. All right. Freebies. Uh, next one we have on our list, of course, is the vampire deck. Yeah, so I've seen a couple different uh, builds of this. Some some of them go kind of the big red and black kind of uh, build, but the, the way that a, I would say a majority of people, including myself, build it is the super fast eminence forward let's dump vampires poop them out onto the battlefield and murder people uh, so some of the all-stars from the deck are black market uh three black black for an enchantment whenever a creature dies put a charge counter on black market at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase pay a black add a black mana to your mana pool for each charge counter onto the battlefield Corey, go ahead and say oh it. my god this is a kill on sight guys if don't let this card stick around <laughs> Yeah, it uh, because they're counters and not uh, per turn type of thing, it gets out of hand so well, fast. Well, it's counters and per turn. Both, yeah, yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's just, uh, it's no good for anybody except the player, and then they're really, really swimming. Uh, the next one we've got is Sanguine Bond, which is three black black for an enchantment. Whenever you gain life, target opponent loses that much life. Uh, this is a combo card, but it's also just one of those cards that people know when you're playing with Mardu, all these weird lifelink and drain effects, they start to uh, tumble out of control. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next one we've got is Underworld Connections. It's one black black for an enchantment aura. Enchant land. Enchanted land has tap, pay one life, draw a card. So it's sort of like a minute. It's sort of like a mini Phyrexian Arena but it's on a land. Yeah. Uh, uh, I put this one on specifically because I thought it was interesting that we did have Phyrexian Arena in 2015 and Underworld Connections, and then now we only get the uh, Underworld Connections, which is clearly much, much worse. But we're so desperate yeah, to have that yeah. sort of effect that we're like, yes, I will sacrifice one of my lands every turn to do this. You still play it. Yeah, I, I love the card. Especially in, uh, in Mardu because of the the interactions that you have to draw cards. It's you just pay it every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
another one we've got, surprisingly good, even though it seems super weird, is Captivating Vampire One Black Black. For a creature vampire, other vampire creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Already in the vampire token deck, an anthem effect is pretty good. But tap five untapped vampire creatures you control gain control of target creature it becomes a vampire in addition to its other type. I hate this shit I read this card the first time (laughs) and I was like for whatever reason it just in my head was until end of turn right I'm so used to like threaten effects that that's just the like that's just how it's how it existed right yeah steal it gain haste swing out and I was just like no oh shit I get to keep (laughs) the creature fuck you I'm doing this again using your creature to steal other creatures <laughs> right. And the thing is, is it's not non-token vampires. So when you're pooping out tokens for every vampire you control, yeah. five vampires seems like a lot, but it's, it's actually pretty creatures. goddamn easy to be gaining five vampires. Plop this guy out. You don't have to worry about haste because it's an activated ability. You just go. Pretty good. Uh, last two, we've got Blood Artist, one in a black for a zero one creature vampire. And whenever he... Whenever Blood Artist or another creature dies, target player loses a life and you gain a life. So it's, again, that sacrifice synergy plus a drain effect. I mean, that's where the Restograd strategy comes in. Yep. As many of these cards as you can get, uh, I would advise. And then we've got Skull Clamp, which goes right along with it. It's one generic for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one, minus one. And whenever equipped creature dies, draw two cards. Equip for one. So you're just killing tokens and drawing cards and draining life. Yeah, not yeah. bad, not bad. Uh, Skull Clamp is another one of those kill on site. Skull Clamp yeah. has so much power and it always is so unassuming. It's like, Seriously. yeah, it's a token. You know, like you got to equip it. You know, you have to put on a token or something that's actually going to die or a creature that attacks. And you can always be like, oh, I'm just not going to block. But like the creature that they put it on is going to die. They put it in the deck for a reason because they know that. It can go on those little one one vampires immediately die immediately get your card draw. Yeah, it's MVP in most. Yeah, token or decks. there's. Yeah, exactly. Or there's sacrifice outlets. You don't even have to kill it with skull clamp. It just has to be on there. Yeah. Um, and and basically, to that point, when we talk about upgrades, that's. I, I think whether you go big or little, one of the main upgrades you need is some free or virtually free sack outlets. So we're talking about Ashnod's altar, spawning pit. Attrition, which isn't technically free, but it's, you know, one black black for an enchantment. Pay one black, sacrifice a creature, destroy target non-black creature. So you're getting benefits for destroying, or you're getting the benefit of destroying your opponent's creatures while also being able to sacrifice and gain the value. That's exactly the type of thing that Aristocrats wants to have. Um, And the thing that goes along with that, because of this being a tribal deck, is some real cheap fast vampire so we've got like knight of the even legion blood throne vampire um you're also going to toss in any of those blood artist type effects you can get like corpse knight these things happen fast they create a huge disparity between you and your opponents as far as life goes and then you can use that life to further enact your game plan whether that's card draw or damage or uh you know whatever yeah, you know what's kind of funny though is that we talk about like uh, Blood Artist as such like a coveted card. It's got a high standard on it, right? And the difference is that it's a trait of life of two, right? If it's just you and an opponent. But you gaining two life means so much less than you gaining one and your opponent losing one. And, and 
anytime you can get the cards that say each opponent instead of target opponent, like Corpse Knight is an each opponent. These are the types of things that really start to take off. Uh, And to that effect, I've got an all-star ad, which a lot of people don't really think of. That's Perforos, God of the Forge. It's three and a red for a 6-5 legendary enchantment creature god. He has indestructible. As long as your devotion to red is less than five, Perforos isn't a creature. But the most important text, whenever another creature enters the battlefield... Under your control, Perforos deals two damage to each opponent. You can also pay two and a red. Creatures you control get plus one, plus zero until end of turn. That's a cool little uh, pseudo-fire-breathing anthem type effect. But what you're really doing is taking advantage of the enters the battlefield, not cast. You're creating tokens. You're dealing damage to every motherfucker out there. And uh, you're just whittling them down one by one. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Absolutely. Uh, And we do have a full breakdown of the Mardu Vampires deck in another episode, so you guys should definitely check that out. That was during our Brewers Week, and we had Gary kind of talk about the changes that he made to the deck and why. So definitely definitely a good thing to to look into if you're interested in that deck. It's also on deck stats under Untap Upkeep Drink. (laughs) And Corey, uh, I'm sure that you are ecstatic to talk about this deck. So... This was the the kitty cat <laughs> deck, and this is the only one I wanted when they were revealed because I'm like, oh, kitty cats. Yeah, it was and funny because Corey and I were talking about like the different decks. He's like, honestly, all I want is a cat deck, and I was like, you know, honestly, all I don't want is the cat deck. <laughs> yeah, I was like, perfect. So I bought the whole set and just sold Corey the other one for the same price. I was like, dude, I want to see what you do with this deck. Turns out, I didn't want to see what Corey did with that. Deck. Yeah, this this deck <laughs> no, got real mean, real fast because it's. You don't think it's like fast and low to the ground because it's just a Selesnya kitty cat deck, but it can, it usually killed somebody like turn five or six. And then you, yeah, it's so calm. Yeah, and you're just so far ahead a lot of the time. Well, it's just like three power toughness that you get off of our boat is surprisingly a lot. Yeah. And so we just had some of the notable cards. One of them is Alms Collector, so it's three and white for a 3-4 creature cat cleric with Flash. And an opponent would draw two or more cards and said you and that player each draw a card. So it's kind of like Notion Thief, but it's in white. And some kind of card draw. Which I, white needs loads. Yeah. It's just it's very selective card draw. I just really like this because it hoses uh, Sean's wheel deck <laughs> so hard. Because oh, yeah. It basically means that... Everybody doesn't get to wheel. They just discard their hand, and then I get to draw a bunch of cards. I was going to say, effectively, it's like a counter spell, but also a bit of card Yeah, like they all life. discard their their hands and draw one card, and I get to draw a lot of cards. <laughs> and then the next one we have is a, a really, really good commander. It's I think it, it quickly shot up as one of the best Voltron commanders up there with SRAM. For sure. But it's uh, Balin Wandering Knight. Two white white for a 3-3 legendary creature cat knight with first strike. Balin Wandering Knight has double strike as long as two or more equipment are attached to it. And you can pay one in a white. Attach all equipment you control to Balin. So <laughs> Good you just God. Yeah. pump out as much equipment as you can. Zero drops, one drops, six drops. Doesn't matter. You just... The reason why equipment is quote-unquote balanced is because you have an equip cost and a casting cost but this just cheats all of that and you just suit them up instant speed swing out 
kill people super easily. Double strike, yeah. yeah. Insane. Damn. Um, next one we have is just an all-star. It's Marari's Wake. So it's three green-white for an enchantment. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Whenever you tap a land for mana, add one mana to your mana pool of any type that land produced. So this is probably the best card. I don't in think you the, need to say anything about that. Best card in the cat deck, even though there's nothing to do with cats. It's just a really, really solid commander card. Did you nickname this Ferrari Steak? No, that's just what a lot of people call it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, last time I heard Ferrari Steak <laughs> was when we were cubing uh, at Game Op in Idle Falls. And Michael kept on talking uh, to the one of the owners or one of the managers there. And just like, hey, yo, Nate. I got that Ferrari steak, and I'm just like dying. I was just like laughing. <laughs> it would be Mike. Because I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? And then I realized what it was, and I was just like, fuck, that's a good card. Yeah, seriously. So the next one we have is the Hammer of Nizan, which we talked about earlier, but I think it's easily one of the best equipment ever printed. Like it's, I think it's up there with the swords because it can just cheat yeah. so many things. Cheating equipment costs is, is absolutely insane. Yeah, it's... I know I've... It's used in a lot of um, like combo decks where you need to cheat Helm of the Host onto stuff mm-hmm. and yeah. just weird like fringe stuff like that. But it's it's just a really really good uh, equipment. Yeah, and the bonus is you get indestructible on that creature. Yeah, you get indestructible and cheating stuff. So dope. yeah, yeah. When your bonus is that it gets indestructible, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what? Yeah. <laughs> So the next one, that's nice. Next one we have is Traverse the Outlands for four and a green for a sorcery. Search your library for up to X basic land cards, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. Put those cards on the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. This card's dumb. This card's super dumb, especially in Arbo. You're giving plus three, plus three to whatever you want, so you can just play something, pump your cat, and then if you have extra mana play this and get five, six lands for the next turn and then start just doing some wicked stuff. But it's just, it's really good in green stompy. Like, just Yeah, putting those onto the battlefield instead of into your hand is just yeah. fucking good. Yeah, because like, like mono green Galta deck, like if you can play this and get 12 oh God. <laughs> basic lands, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm okay. I'm, done. I'm doing that. And so... When I was upgrading the deck, I there were a couple ways to do it. I kept Miri in it because she's just really good at combat, and this was a very combat-focused deck. And I kept Nizan just because he can tutor for the hammer, but I didn't really go Voltron or equipment-based. I kept some of the better equipment. But one way you could do it is just upgrading it with all the swords and stuff like that. But I just used Arbo and just did a, did a big... All right, go big, one-shot kind of build, and it was a ton of fun. So some of the upgrades I put are Adorn Pouncer, which is MVP, hands down, because it, yeah, it's amazing. a 1-1 a double strike for one in white that you can... Was it, it sounds like pretty unassuming. Yeah, what's the one double strike? ability? You can eternalize. So for five, for three in white, three white, white, exile this card from your graveyard, create a token that's a copy of it, except it's a 4-4 black zombie cat with no mana cost. Eternal Lands only as a sorcery. Yeah, and so on turn two, you can make this into a a 4-4 double strike. And if you can give it haste or anything and start swinging, that's a ton of damage early on. It's a five-turn clock. 
yeah, and then later in the game, you can make it a 4-4 double strike and then pump it up to a 7-7 like you just said, Drew. And then at that point, you have probably have a lot more stuff going on, more equipment, and you start killing people real fast. And then if you have Arbo out, you can pay three mana and make it a 7-7 double strike and then give it plus 7, plus 7, and trample. And you can easily kill everybody. Yeah, you just one-shot people at that point. Yeah, it's yeah. I think what a lot of people forget about double strike the fact that it just seems like double the damage. You're like, oh, instead of a four four, I'm going to take eight. The combat math is so hard because it's first strike and then regular damage. Okay. So like, you can't fucking block yeah. <laughs> the thing because you just die to it every time. Uh, it's that's wicked good. Yeah. I like that. Uh, so the next one I have is Prowling <laughs> Serpapod versus the cat. I think it's a cat snake or a cat serpent. But it just yeah, makes your it. creatures uh, not being able to be countered, which I think is very powerful. It goes in Pretty a lot good. of just creature-heavy decks, and it's cat, so I threw it in here. The next one is a really, really good cat. It's Bremaz, King of Oreskos. So it's Dude, one white-white. kitty. Yeah. He's so good. 3-4 legendary creature cat soldier with vigilance. Whenever he attacks, put a 1-1 one, one white cat soldier creature token with vigilance on the battlefield attacking, and then you do the exact same thing whenever he blocks. So you want to attack and block a lot in this deck, and you're already making kitty cats, so this just helps that so much. And next one I've got is... Uh, I sort of just lumped these up, but there's Regal Caracol from... Was it Hour of Devastation? No, Amiket. And then there's uh, so- Pride of the Sovereign or Sovereign, something yeah. like that. He, They just basically pump up your cats or make more cats. And there's a lot of other, like a lot of the Leonin cards, those are easy upgrades because when they attack or block, they make uh, more cats or they give cats life lifelink or just yeah, easy, easy stuff like that. You don't really have to worry about a lot of things because it's you can either do combat or more combat with this deck so you just throw the cats in there yeah and, and with the then, flexibility around like Arbo's ability itself it's like you can do combat where you're focusing on one creature to be big and tough or you can spread the board out and just like make every single attack count yeah and so the last one this last little upgrade this in the deck is a because this would be too, many. Fucked up. <laughs> too much it's lost leonin <laughs> is one in white for a 2-1 creature soldier or cat soldier creature with infect. And on turn two, you can make him a 5-4 with infect. So I'm someone who loves to play infect, who will do everything I can in a combat deck to add infect. And my first statement on this card is, this card's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, that's why I never... <laughs> I know, right? This, it'd, be, it'd be too easy. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, the card on its own is not fucked up. It's just that yeah. this deck yeah. makes it so because gross. Because eminence just <laughs> makes it so scary. Because yeah. that, that's a, a two-turn clock. Right. On turn yeah. two. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, God. Yeah, so... Yeah. So the last deck we've got is the Durgans. Yeah. Five-color. So... I just kind of nicknamed this section Deadbeat Dragons because a lot of the dragons are just not really that great. There's like a lot of legendary dragons that just do so many different things that the focus isn't there. Um, so the, in my opinion, the best cards in the deck are Dragonlord Servant and Dragon Speaker Shaman. Um, they respectively give one or two uh, generic mana as a reduced cost for your dragons which is huge. Like, yeah. just dragons are expensive. Uh, the next one we have is Hellkite Charger. So 
Okay, Charger, four red red for Flying Haste Dragon. It's a 5-5, five, five, and whenever it attacks, you may pay five red red, seven mana total. If you do, untap all attack creatures, and after this phase, there's an additional combat phase. Hell yeah. This card this card kills people. Uh, I don't like it. Next card, we got Wasitora, Nikoro Queen. Two and Jund, that is red, black, and green for a 5-4 legendary creature. Cat Dragon, this is the Cat Dragon, shout out. Uh, she's got Flying and Trample. Whenever she deals combat damage to a player, that player sacrifices a creature. If that player can't, you create a 3-3 black, red, and green Cat Dragon creature token with Flying. Hell yeah! <laughs> Kitty Cats. Yeah, she's dope. Forcing people to sacrifice shit is strong. Making it so that every single time uh, you do so, if they can't, you just get a free token that's going to be doing more damage. But she's, she's dope. Uh, next one we have is Fractured Identity. Three white, blue for sorcery. Exile target, non-land permanent. Each player other than its controller creates a token. It's a copy of it. Now this this, this is the kind so of stupid. removal that I love. <laughs> yeah, I love this shit. Like, Fractured Identity is such a fun <laughs> card, but it's so, like, you don't know where it's going to go. Like, the best... I was going to say, it's almost on the point of being, like, not good, but also just crazy good. Because it is removal, but it's also like, you know what? I'm going to give everybody but you that crazy shit you had. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like Let's a... see how a this turns out. For sure. Yeah, it's like, yeah. even though you were so far ahead, I'm going to put you back, and I'm going to put everybody else far ahead, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the best thing that you can do is we're playing an Esper deck with Phage the Untouchable. Yeah. <laughs> and you just cast it on your own Phage and give everyone a Phage, and they immediately lose. Oh, it's also really good with the Praetors. <laughs> yeah. Because they're scary. <laughs> and having, like, three Vorinclexes out is awful. Yeah, no one wants to Or do just three shoulders. Like, it's just a mess. <laughs> three shoulders is way better than three born collectors. Agreed. Because, like, having two other born collectors on the field that you have to worry about, it's just like, oh, I get a double my mana. Oh, I can't untap myself. <laughs> I get uh, I get it once. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the last one is Crux of Fate. The three black, black, choose one. Destroy all dragon creatures or destroy all non-dragon creatures. Super good. So, this is a board wipe that I put in a lot of decks because it's a five mana board wipe in black instead of six mana, which is the usual rate. And destroying all non dragons usually destroys everything. It's rare that there's dragons out on the battlefield unless you're in a dragon deck. In which case, destroy all non dragons is the best thing, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you run across that one in a million chance that you're playing against a dragon deck and they're a problem, then you're okay to have it there yeah. too. Um, for my upgrades, we've got Lathless Dragon Queen. Whenever you cast Dragon, make another Dragon. Dope. Dragon's Horde. It's ramp and card draw that focuses on dragons. Absolutely love that. you got Teamer Ascendancy. Uh, it's an enchantment that gives your creatures haste when, whenever you cast a big creature, which dra most dragons are pretty pretty big size, uh, you just get a draw card. Um, dragon Lord Wicked good. X. Any of the Dragon Lords from the cons block. Ojutai uh, is pretty decent. Dromoka is like the big one. Uh, Dragon Lord Guard is also pretty strong. Just, they're really, really good. And the last upgrades that I would suggest adding to the deck, um, Fabro Elder, Dried Up Elysian Grove. So good. Chromatic Lantern, anything that allows you to tap your lands for a different color or to just get lots of mana of different colors is going to be a massive benefit to you in this deck. Yeah. Like Basically, any mana fixing. Yeah, yeah. and if, you, if they're ramp as well which Faber Elder and Chromatic Lantern allow you to do, then it's just that cherry on top. 
good. All right, so we talked a lot about the decks. Let's talk about one specific card. The elephant in the decks. In the deck. Yeah, mm-hmm. one deck. Got, got this True. bad boy. That's really why it's the worst. <laughs> uh, we've got Teferi's Protection, y'all. Corey? So, do the so Teferi's Protection is two and a white for an instant. Until your next turn, your life total can't change and you have protection from everything. All permanents you control phase out. Exile Teferi's Protection. So phase out means while they're phased out, they're treated as though they don't exist. They phase in before you untap during your untap step. So they don't ETB or anything. They're still there. They just can't be messed yeah. with. You can't mess with them. Yeah, they're not blinking, so it doesn't yeah. fuck with your tokens or anything like that. If you're running token strategy, phasing is like a... You're basically just removed from the game until your next turn. So what is the boogeyman yeah. in the format? Cyclonicrift. And what is the one card that beats Cyclonic? <laughs> the Fairy's Protection or Counterspell. So, See. if that, I mean, yeah, that's good. <laughs> but Teferi's Protection is like the card that just absolutely fucks on Cyclonic Rift. Yeah. Because it allows Cyclonic Rift to happen to your opponents that would normally be affected by it. But then all of a sudden you take yourself out of that equation and then you come back and it's just, hey, Nice try, bitch. I see what you're trying to do. You're about to win because you're playing Cyclonic Rift right now. Yeah, I think we've talked at length on a lot of episodes about Fairy's Protection and how I think it was a card meant for good, but it, I think at this point it's almost worse than Cyclonic Rift because less people have access to it. Yeah, I mean... It's kind of the worst case of Watsy trying to solve a problem by creating another fucking yeah. problem. Yeah. Like, sure. oh, you know what we could do? Let's just add one card to one deck one time ever. And in one solve color the needs the most help always. Yeah. It, it uh, It's a good answer in the worst way possible. Yeah. All right, Corey. Let's yeah. talk about power level. How do these decks compare to the, the previous sets that we talked about at the top of the show? I think uh, the previous sets... They're a lot more focused, but at the end of the day, they are just creature synergies, and so that has its drawbacks. It has its limitations. Drew, you alive? So they're easy to counter. They're they're good in a vacuum, like they're good played against each other. And but you, I think you really need to tune them up if you go and play them at a shop. But I mean, they're a ton of fun. Okay. I don't know because. They're, it's kind of hard to compare these to the other decks because they're just so focused on the tribe and that's really it. Like there are there are some standout. But that's cards. a good thing, right? Yeah. At the same time, yeah. Like the other decks you have some diversity of what you can do, but these decks it's like, hey, you can use this other commander. You're still focusing on cats. Hey, you can use this other commander. You're still focusing on like the general theme of what cats does, which is largely equipment. Yeah. You know, it's like I think that that's a, a very good thing for these decks. Like you said, they're they're better in a vacuum amongst each other than they are, yeah, against the you know wild world of the decks that are just, out there. It's just hard to compare. Like, yeah, these. I mean, dragons are always good, and wizards are usually always good. And vampires are really good. I guess I, I really focus on cats because like it's hard to compare. Yeah, these ten cats compared to like these ten cards in C fifteen because like yeah. cats are just garbage yeah. compared to all of that. But like, yeah, there's a lot of fair. a lot of good synergies, and dragons are all really cool. There's a lot of good wizards, and Edgar Markov is just a fucking crazy Insane. old grandpa. <laughs> and, yeah, dude, and so, Soren's grandpa just like I think they, they, they nailed what they're going for, but it's this is I wouldn't say it's a standout. It's just like a weird blip on the map because these were a lot of fun, yeah. but it's just like I still think it's 
I, I like better, yeah, better I series in the Commander series just because they were so focused straight out of the box and they were like so fun because you knew exactly what you're getting out of them. Whereas some of the other sets, it was like, you're not really sure. You see what the like quote unquote top commanders or head commander is, and you're like, oh, I kind of get what's going on. And there's like eight, ten cards for each of the other commanders. You're yeah. like, why is this in my deck? I don't like this. Yeah. But the fact that these sold so well following C16, I think, shows that they were geared towards commander players. You know what I mean? They may not be more powerful than C16, but because they're tribal, there are people who emotionally like attach to these decks. Like, goddamn, them Mardu vamps, that's my shit. Them kitty cats. I think they're they're more fun than they are powerful, but... I don't necessarily think that in the grand scheme of things, that's a bad thing. Yeah, I think that the worst thing about C-17 is that this is the first year that they were like, hey, how about we go from five decks to four? Yeah, I think yeah. that upset a lot of people because... Yeah, I didn't even actually realize it until like I had bought them and was like, why does this feel so much more expensive? Cause yeah, because I think they upped the decks. price too because it was $35 yeah. and then they went to $40 and one last deck. So it's like... You have to pay more. I got the Edgar Markov deck for 30 bucks. Oh, shit. You got a fucking steal, Yeah, dude. I know. Yeah, I think they MSRP'd but, at $40, yeah. which the, all the previous years were 35 Yeah. And so they, they made yeah, less decks and up the price. I 120 for the, the full set. Still, though, at only four decks, that still sounds kind of bad. Yeah, I, don't, I, think, <laughs> yeah. I think they did it because they play no, a lot I'm better. Sorry, I paid 150 150 Oh, shit. I'm trying to remember. Oh, okay. Damn. I mean, that's, that's saving 10 bucks. Yeah. But I think they played it because, or they did it because they were meant to be played against each other in yeah. a play group before. Yeah. But then, what do you do if everyone that's buys like the crutch, fucking wizards? Yeah, like I feel like that's just like, oh yeah, we we built this to play in a vacuum. Great, you know that they're going to play played like once or twice in a vacuum, and then they're going to be played against other decks. Yeah, like people don't just keep these sets together to just only play against each other always. That's just not how that works. Let's redirect this to the eminence ability in commander good god um was this is this a good thing to have uh and is it something that we should look to being repeated Corey, you're taking then gary and you so this basically makes your commander an indestructible hex proof can't be touched enchantment because it's in the command zone, it's always doing stuff yep. right from turn zero. You're always getting. I mean, you're, something. You're, you're speaking the words that I want to. I want to have, dude. I want a hexproof, <laughs> indestructible enchantment. Like, give me that. Like, don't touch my shit. It's mine. Yeah, it's it's very very powerful, and I think they. I don't know if they did a good job. Like, some of these effects are way better than other effects, but yeah, the. I mean, even in a vacuum, you like deck. There's a yeah. reason why it's so I, good. Like you literally just have to play the spells that interact with the tribe in your commander. Yeah. It, like, it just doesn't have to do anything. Like, literally, never have to cast your commander, and you get bonus effects. Like, Inala, you're taxed every time you want to do that. Very similar effect, but you you get taxed for it. The cat, you start to really see the benefit once you have cast it, and you can start just doubling the power level. Like, the plus three, plus three is huge. Yeah. But as soon as you can double that power level, like it gets exponentially better. And third dragon, like you're you're never actually casting that card. So, like, the eminence effect is, yeah. like, yeah, it's cool. I get to reduce the cost and, like, basically just ramp you. But dragons are expensive anyway, so where am I at on that? Yeah, I think I I think it was an okay mechanic, personally. I hate playing against Aloro, so I think maybe they should have seen, like, yeah, you know, let's not make anything like this. But no, they said, let's make more decks like so this. You're, you're and saying it's interesting. Do not repeat. 
I I'm in the, I'm on board for not repeating because like you just said, you don't even have to cast your commander. So if we're playing commander, what's the point yeah. of having hey, a card let's, that you let's never build around this cast. creature and let's never actually cast the creature. Garion, your take. Go. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Even even as an Edgar Markov player, love the guy, love the deck, it does what I want it to. I still think because it's unique and only a few cards do it, it makes it so imbalanced for the rest of the people who want to, you know, in a vacuum, it's like, okay, we all have eminence, even though some are better than others. At least we can all do this. But when you walk in, like, I personally experience this all the time. If I put down Edgar with everybody else, they're like, what the fuck, man? Come on. You know, because you're doing shit from turn one. You know what I mean? The second you start playing vampires, you are synergizing with your commander, whereas everybody else has to try and cast their stuff. I think it's a worse version of experience counters, and I wasn't hot on those either. I think the whole idea of a four-person pod... The the only benefit is maybe that it makes the game shorter, but like we want to have some interactability in a four person pod. We want to be able to deal with things and answer each other's threats. And by creating an unanswerable threat that just is impossible to answer from turn one, I don't think it's. Yeah, I mean, I agree with your sentiments there. Like having, like, I mean, I I joke about having, you know, a non interactable enchantment, but that's because I love to play enchantments that, you know, like, attacked. But I also like to play those enchantments, right. right? Like playing the enchantments is part of the strategies that I play. Yeah, and so right. if you have to pay uh, for them, like, it's totally it's different. A nice idea, but I think that it was executed in a way that wasn't the best. I don't know. I think the decks are cool. I think tribal would be cool to revisit, but I just think the eminence ability itself is just a—it's too much. Correct. Yeah, I, I think that that's that's the correct statement. There is that tribal absolutely needs to be yeah. revisited and they need to do what we were hoping for C-17 which is to go to tribes that need extra support that need the help and just go to some like yeah. fucking janky weird <laughs> tribes that people don't expect don't do fucking elves please do horses yeah it was weird because like, we were predicting <laughs> yeah horses that'd be dope I think merfolk would be a really cool uh, middle of the line could- like they're really good but Merfolk is good in 60-card formats because you can double up on a certain effect, Simic right? doesn't need right. help. Yeah. True. <laughs> True. But what if they did uh, Azorius Merfolk? Soltai. Oh, that Azorius would be cool. cool. Or Bant. No, because then you're still getting support to Simic. Uh, let's get to the last question. The question I always like to ask here. Was this a successful product? I mean, based on the fact that we all have one of these decks at minimum, um, I feel like can't say no yeah I, I think it's definitely a yes and the fact that some of the cards are worth fifty dollars uh, should tell you a little bit i feel like that makes it a less successful product right because it's <laughs> so limited like people are buying a deck not to play the deck but to get a single card to me yeah. that's not a successful product that's them fucking up with one card yeah i think that's the weighted element of that question is that who are we asking because right. <laughs> if we're asking us sure we bought it are we asking watsy Definitely, they, made they, they sold some ass fucking <laughs> yeah, some decks. <laughs> so, I mean, all around, I think it was obviously a successful product. We still talk about it. I think it's still played. People are still buying them when they can find them. Although, I don't know how many people are finding hard them to find in our expenses. Fuck, like Markov itself is like 160 bucks. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a thumbs up. I will give it like 45 up for me because I think that some shit was just broken. One card specifically, yeah, exactly. Like one card, 
this should never have been printed. Yeah, but I think that's a pretty good review of this uh, C-17 release of decks from Watsi. Of course, we lost one of our five decks, so we only had four decks this time, but they were very flavorful, and we... Obviously, all three of us really enjoyed them as far as uh, personal products. Yeah, and having four decks means that we get to dive a little bit more in depth in the decks. But thank you guys so much for dealing with our socially distant podcast here. Uh, this is our obviously our first remote episode, so any of the technical <laughs> difficulties that we may or may not have experienced, uh, just deal with it. Uh, love us just, anyway. Yeah, try and... Try <laughs> Yeah, try try and go along with us. We're we're trying to work them out. But to be honest with you guys, I work in the news, so I'm over talking about it. It sucks. So let's all sit at home and listen to some. Yeah, stay podcasts, safe. You know, Grab, stock up on beers. Yeah. Forget food. Stock up on beer. Wash them. Well, I mean, beers is calories. Exactly. Yeah, it's beer and toilet paper. That's all and you it, need. Yeah, and if you don't say it as <laughs> beers is calories, like not. That's <laughs> <laughs> something kind of personal. Personal note, you know. All right, guys, as we like to say on this podcast, have fun, but stay safe out there. Wash your hands and your ass.